Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey everyone, I want to let you all know that my very first book, The Path of an Eagle, how to overcome and lead after being knocked down is just around the corner from launching into the world. You can pre-order a copy right now, wherever you are in the world, just head to the link in the show notes below in order to get your own copy. It's available in Kindle, hardcover, and it will soon be available in audio book, which I will be narrating. I'm very excited about that. Uh, but hope you guys can get a copy. Hope you support the show, myself and yourself as well, because that's what the, the book is really, really speaking to. Thank you all very much. All right, time to enjoy the show. There is a story for everyone here because every story matters. Welcome everyone to the Storybooks. This is the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, and if you want to grow abundantly. My name is Jay Phantom, and I believe it's my purpose to help you realize your worth and become the greatest and best version of you possible. I am grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the Storybooks together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. My friends, I am really delighted to bring you today's incredible story. It is someone who I actually spoke with last year, and his story is one that is rather akin to my own with overcoming a lot of rejection. He has a book called 10,000 No's, How to Overcome Rejection on the Way to Your Yes. And many of you may have actually seen my guest, Matthew Del Negro, in some films and television shows, maybe on some Netflix movies, you name it. But he's been in The Sopranos, The West Wing, Scandal, The United States of Tara, Amazon's Goliath, and Netflix's Huge in France. He has been seen opposite Kevin Bacon on Showtime, City on a Hill, and many, many other incredible shows and movies. And Matthew's story is one of literally going from humble beginnings to his eventual rise after a sea of rejections, as he calls it, to becoming a recognizable face on some of history's most acclaimed television shows. And the reason why I say that Matthew's story is quite akin to my own is because of the amount of rejection that Matthew has received in order to get to where he is today. And the amount of no's that I have received, not just building this show, but also with my book and many, many other aspects of my life. So I know that this story, if you are 
facing a lot of no's at the moment. I know this story is going to help many, many of you to realize that the no is going to build those, the level of resilience, but also perseverance. And my favorite aspect of this all, which is persistence. They're hard lessons to learn and no one likes getting rejected, I know. But Matthew's story shows us that we can push through it all. And during the the, the tough times when they do come, we can deal with it in the best way possible. We can be flexible. We can adapt to these moments of, of struggle and pain that, that no's do eventually bring. And the rejection, I ultimately believe, and you've heard me say this on, on many occasions if you listen to the show on a regular basis, but I ultimately believe that you can either overcome and learn, we need to learn, or succumb and stay where you are. So my friends, I hope Matthew's story is not only an encouragement for you all, but it's an inspiration and it's a motivator to get that willpower involved more and more so that you can push towards the things that you want to actually achieve. You can get a copy of Matthew's book, 10,000 No's. I'll link that in the show notes below for you. Also, don't forget that my very first book, The Path of an Eagle, How to Overcome and Lead After Being Knocked Down, which does mention a lot of the rejections that I've received in life, is now available wherever books are sold. So you can get a copy of that uh, right now. The links will be in the show notes below. It doesn't matter what country you're in, you can get a copy of the book and I'll make it available for each and every one of you so that it's easy. All right, my friends, you know what time it is. It is time to overcome rejection and learn what it takes to overcome rejection as we journey into the story box today and listen to the incredible wisdom, the advice, and the stories of none other than Matthew Del Negro. Either way, I'm good. We, let's, I say we hop into it, man. I'm yeah, pumped. You don't, need to, you don't need to prime me. I'm good. Fantastic, man. Well, my first question that I love asking people to start off with is you've had all this success over your career. What does success actually look like to you in your life? In my life outside of my career? In your life, just, just period. Just period. Yeah. I mean, I would say it's funny. You say you've had all the success and, and that's, and I, I thank you for that. Um, in some ways I could be looked at as I've had success. And, and then there's other ways where you could, you know, you twist it like a Rubik's cube and you look at it from another angle and it feels like I've just repeatedly failed. So mm -hmm. uh, I, I, I feel like the, you know, success is just a result of, of kind of continuing to get up to the plate and take swings. And, you know, once in a while you connect with some things and, and then if you connect with a few things, then people maybe call you a success, but it doesn't feel like, it's not like you wake up and, um, and all of a sudden you feel like everything's easier. I mean, I would say in, in a lot of ways, my life now or career now is maybe less of a struggle than it was when I was first starting out, just because you had to clamor for everything. Um, on the other hand, there are there are just new challenges now and there are new things and, and there are days where I feel great and I feel like 
things are going my way. And then there are days where I feel like I cannot, you know, as an actor, I'll sometimes say it feels like I can't get arrested. You know, you're just like, you're going in, you feel like you're giving good auditions and you just, for whatever reason, they're not buying what you're selling. And that's just, you go through periods like that. You go through droughts and, um, and now I've kind of got my hands in a, in a, a few other projects the, the podcast. We kind of talked briefly before we were recording, but that's a whole other endeavor and, and I'm developing some material and, um, and, and so there are constantly, there are plenty of reasons to be reminded of failure. So it doesn't, it's not for me, at least it's not like I, I view it like, okay, I've now arrived and everything's cool. It's like, you know, things are good and got to keep working hard and, and, and keep staying sharp. What do you, what do you think when you do go through failure? Like what's your mindset and how do you get over or get through the failure? Um, I kind of remind my, you know, sometimes it's easier said than done. Like right now I'm in a relatively good position career wise. Cause I'm in the middle of a show. I'm doing this show city on a hill. Um, and we were in the second season, we, paused after the third episode because of COVID. So, but we're, I have that to go back to. So that's always nice. That helps keep you like, you know, you're like, okay, I have a job. Um, when you don't have a job, which is a lot of the time, it's harder to continue to tell yourself, don't pay attention to the external signs. Just worry about the internal. Are you working hard? Are you working smart? Are you continuing to grow and learn and, and, um, and usually what, what I've found is like, I, I, I'll talk to myself when I'm in those kind of slumps or when it, like, it doesn't feel like the wind is at my back. I will, um, just realizing I'm just hot. I hope this doesn't tell me how this is with your sound. I'm going to just open this to get a little air in here. No um, uh, you know, I'll, I'll kind of, when I'm in those slumps, I will, just remind myself that I've been here before and I've, I've gotten out of it and, you know, things come around and sometimes things come out of nowhere. And so it's, it's hard when you're actually in that hole or in that slump to, to do this, but it's that faith that you're doing the things that you need to be doing. and a lot is out of your control. You have to do everything you can with the things that you can control. And then you kind of have to have faith that like things are going to line up in, to, in your favor. And they don't always. And when they don't, I do what I call willful denial, which is like, I just believe my story that I'm telling myself, even if the outside world is not really um, backing up the success narrative that I'm telling, I'll just choose to kind of continue to buy into what I'm saying until it actually comes true. Hmm. Have you had any moments on set where you going in, you don't feel great about uh, yourself and acting and then the camera started rolling and you've gone, Oh crap, I can't do this. Has that ever happened to you? Um, there are times when, yeah, I mean, there's definitely times when you just kind of feel like you don't, 
you don't have it or you don't, um, yeah, you're not connected. Um, I feel like I, I, you know, I've been, I've been lucky in the recent years that the projects that I've done, I've not only liked the material, I've also liked the people I'm working with and there's been less of that. Um, but sure. And I mean, you know, sometimes you, you know, sometimes you feel like you got it. Sometimes you feel like you don't have it, but you have enough technique to, to get through and maybe it doesn't feel great. Mm-hmm. Hopefully you have enough of a foundation underneath you that even when you don't feel incredible, it's still, um, it's still working on some level. And, and, and frankly, sometimes you can feel great about your work and then watch it and hate it and vice versa. Sometimes I've, I've not liked what I've done and then I watch it and I'm surprisingly okay with it. Um, probably more the former than the latter, you know, probably more it's, it, I tend to be maybe more critical when, when I see something back. Um, cause it always feels a little bit better in my head. Um, but, but I don't know lately, a, a lot of it, you know, what, what actors don't realize is a lot of your performance is also you bring what you bring and then you're, it's a collaboration. So, you know, you're kind of only as good as your material and your collaborators. And, and so you have to do your job and you also have to hope that your collaborators are talented and generous and have good taste and, um, and cut together a performance that you, you like, you know, I'm a, I'm a filmmaker as well. So I've always been curious about like when I've worked with actors in the past and they haven't, felt great and they've told me hey jay we're not feeling too good about this scene uh i always tell them okay let's try and figure out what does feel right because i don't want you to force something that's not actually there and it's like because a lot of the time for for artists like filmmakers especially it comes from a very personal place same with acting it comes from like you connecting to a character in a film so you can portray them the best possible light And so you can create a meaningful connection with not just the character, but with the audience as well. And it's the director's job to really come alongside the actor and say, look, do you need any help and guide them through that, through that process of this is what the character, or this is what I envision the character to be like as well. Do you have the same vision? If you don't, let's try and work, work out something similar. So, but there's always this idea of perfectionism that you've got to do the best it's got to look a certain way. And if it doesn't look a certain way, then you sort of get down to the dumps about it. Do you, have you ever struggled with this idea of perfectionism in, in your, in your career? Absolutely. Less so in recent years, something's definitely changed within me. Um, I think it's, it's combo of getting older. Mm. Um, the, the messiness of life, the, doing a podcast where I put out a show every week and now twice a week, cause I do a, a mini one on Mondays um, that, you know, you just, you're throwing it out there. That's been a really great learning lesson for my acting. You know, you kind of just go, you know, 
the, the per- perfection, first of all, I don't know that it exists um, in acting. I think uh, there's a messy quality that's kind of beautiful. I don't think it can be, I don't think there's one way to play a scene. Um, I, and so I, I've given up more control in my more recent years. And as I said before, you know, you're in the hands of your collaborators and I've been lucky I mean, I've been lucky. I feel like throughout my career, I've been very lucky to, to have worked with some really talented people. Um, I feel like maybe in the last couple of years, I've been lucky to work with talented people and be given the ball more. So I've had more to do. Um, so, but you, you, it's like trust, you know, it's trusting that those people that are really, I mean, like everybody on set is contributing to your performance, you know, from your scene partner to your director, to the DP, to hair and makeup, to wardrobe, everything. It's like, it's really a team effort. And, um, and so, you know, the, the, I think the reason I've been happy in the last couple of years with the work is that like, I've, I've had um, just, directors that gave me a lot of room to do, to bring my own take to something and then pull me back if needed and, and let me go. If, if where I was going was a, a, a particular spot that maybe they didn't see it, but they, once they see it, they like it. Um, so yeah, the, 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 your collaborators, I feel like I've had more appreciation for that and and less um, desire to control things. You know, you kind of go like, hey, it's going to be like your performance is what it ended up being between action and cut. And then what they put together with those pieces of, you know, with all those takes. Um, so you can you can do all the prep work you want and you need to do all the prep work you can. But when you show up, it's what happens between action and cut that becomes the character. And I don't think you can muscle that. I don't think you can control that. I don't think if you pre-plan it too much, I don't necessarily think it's very exciting, but I do think you can kind of set the table for yourself by doing all that prep work. And then hopefully you're allowed to let it rip on the day and you come up with some you know, probably some good stuff and probably some fails. And that's fine. You know, it's great. The creativity aspect as well, like allowing people to be free enough to just bring the character out, like, and, and, and see how it flows on the screen. If it doesn't work, then we can always go back to the drawing board and, and see, and that's what the director's there for as well. Yeah. I mean, that's one thing I've seen, you know, cause you said you're 23. I'm not 23. I used to be. <laughs> um, but one thing I've seen, I think I, when I used to work, I would seek the director's approval more right off the bat. And I don't think that I do that as much. Um, I, it's not saying I won't, I, I always want to see at some point you hope that you have someone that you kind of, vibe with but but i think just in life in general i've i've started to realize like oh 
I used to think everybody else had the answers except for me. Mm. And now I realize we're all searching. So I need to kind of figure out some of my own things first. And so I, I've actually started to appreciate directors that let, let you do it and work out some of the kinks mm. rather than giving you a note immediately. And, and there's a, there's a certain thing on TV where um, there's a time constraint. So people do need to get things in a relatively mm. timely manner. Um, and, and yet I find it overall kind of better for everybody if, if the actors are able to kind of maybe get some stuff out of their system uh, and they find it on, you know, hopefully the actor will find it on themselves. And when they find it on their own, I think it ends up being more um, authentic than if they're, they're trying to please the director by following their note when it doesn't actually feel mm. great to them. Mm. You know, if that, if that makes sense. And, and, and on the other hand, there have been times recently where I was doing something, it felt good. And the director would just, there, there's one guy on city on a hill. He came through the camera department. He's a director now, but he was a DP and he just gave me a, a technical thing about like raising my rate, you know, just raise your eyes a little so we can see your face. And because I knew that and I trusted him, it didn't feel as good as my head down. But when I lifted just a little bit I, and I, you know, saw something on the monitor, it, it was able to capture what I was doing. And it's like, that's, that's, you know, you're taking advantage of outside eyes that you trust. Yeah. By the way, is this too much noise coming through? No, no, no. It's all good. It's all okay. good. I can't really hear it. So Okay, good. I have a directional mic, but there's construction going on, but it's too hot without the, uh, all good, my man. You do what you need to do. Okay. And it's fascinating because building trust on a film set is, is vital for the team aspect and creating a great product for everyone to sort of enjoy as well. Because if, I know this as well because I've been on film sets where, I mean, the director's been yelling and screaming and it hasn't, everyone's sort of like, yeah, I don't really like this. I'm not really feeling this. So it affects their work and, and the quality of their work as well. So building trust is, is vital. And that's what you said, like creating this authentic atmosphere that everyone is sort of in the same boat. Everyone's sort of trying to help each other out in a way there's not really hopefully there's not really too much pride and arrogance and ego on set that each and every job is important because without it, you wouldn't really have a film. Like without the cinematographer, you wouldn't have a picture. <laughs> yeah. Without, without the, um, the technical department, you wouldn't be able to organize all the camera gear and the lighting and the grip department, you know, all these places. So it's not just about the director, the top job, the one that, Right. Moves things around. I mean, the producer's responsible for um, getting the film pretty much made and, and organizing finances and the whole bit. So you're 100% right. And what I'm curious about is you mentioned that everyone is searching. So I want to go back a little bit and ask you how you, how you got started in this industry. Was acting and the film industry something that you always wanted to do or was there something else on the cards? I, um, you know, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I, I kind of, if you had asked me when I was in 
junior high, even high school, if I had to guess, I would have guessed at that point, maybe I'll be a lawyer. Um, my dad's a lawyer. My mom's a teacher. I like the way my dad, really both of them are teachers at heart. I mean, my dad's a lawyer, but more kind of probably should have been a professor of law because he, the way he would talk about the law was inspiring. And, and, and actually now in retrospect, I look at the way I view acting and it's similar to how he used to talk about defending someone in court, which is you're kind of getting behind their point of view only in the law. You're, you're held to, you know, defending them within the letter of the law. Whereas as an actor, it's like, I'm getting under a character's skin and defending their point of view to the world. So I'm not judging it. I'm defending it. Um, but I, I played sports growing up and I played lacrosse in college and, uh, I don't know how big it is down there. I know you guys have a world team, but I don't know if it's as big there as it is in the U S and we, we, so I did that and I didn't really know. I always kind of thought maybe lawyer, but it wasn't, there was still searching, searching, searching. And then, um, my, in the middle of college, I was on a trip. I was in Italy. Um, I, I had a breakup with a girlfriend. I, I wrote, I had a journal that I wrote in this journal and I basically kind of did a 180 from everything I was doing. And I stopped playing lacrosse eventually that following year. And I did a play and, and I kind of in that first journal were the first seeds of, Hey buddy, sorry, it's my dog here. Uh, you gotta go out, gotta go out. Good boy. Good boy. I'll, I'll leave them in the interview. Um, those were the, the first seeds of, of um, you know, thinking about writing, acting, um, thinking about kind of breaking from the path that I was on. And the thing that was appealing was it involved everything. It involved my, uh, you know, analytical skills, emotions, physical, you know, you had to actually do it. You weren't just talking about it. Um, it kind of checked all the boxes. And I did a play at Boston College that was, it was a one act play by William Soroyan called Hello Out There. We didn't even do it on the real stage at Boston College. It was like in a lecture hall and I did it. I loved it. And I just immediately told anyone who would listen that I was going to be an actor. And I was an English major. Wow. I started taking film studies classes. I got a film studies minor. Um, I graduated that following year. Um, I, I moved home, moved back home and worked like laying patios with a mason, making some money, did a musical in the town next to me from where I grew up. Um, the mystery of Edwin Drood. And I was, again, I was just kind of hooked and I started taking the train into New York city two nights a week to take classes. And then that January I had saved up enough money that I found an apartment I moved in to the city you know, bartended, waited tables for a long, long time, took classes forever. Um, and just, you know, kind of little by little, just, just kind of learned the craft and mm. event, you know, did a lot of stuff for free. And then, then, then eventually kind of just little by little kind of, you know, made some progress. And did you ever think to yourself that you weren't going to make it? I mean, I had definitely some times when, I thought, you know, I thought, am I crazy? You know, I remember being 28 years old. I think it was 
and I was bartending and it was like the late 90s, maybe I was even younger. It was, it was the late nineties and wall street was going crazy. And all the guys, like a lot of guys that worked on wall street would come drink in the bar where I bartended. And there were a lot of guys from college that were there and they're making money hand over fist. And I'm like pouring them a Guinness and this is pre Sopranos, you know? And I'm thinking like, man, I did pretty well in school. And like, I know a lot of people like I, maybe I could have done that and done what, and I'm like, what, you know, am I really, am I really gonna, is this really going to happen for me? Because I had been at it for years. And I, and I was, the thing is I always got enough external feedback and I, I just kind of somewhere in me, I felt like I just knew this was what I was doing. Mm. But when you had those dark days, you know, it's, you kind of like. Hard to get out of them. Really? Are you sure? Are you sure? Or are you delusional and you think you're going to, it's going to happen. It's not really going to happen. So there, there was, there was that, but I, I kind of, whenever I got to those places. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Where I was on the precipice of like, what's happening? Something seemed to come through. Always something seemed to come through. Even if it was small, like it's fascinating how that actually happens because I've, I've felt the same way in my life where I felt like nothing's going on. I've gone, woe is me. I've gone the defeatist mentality. And then all of a sudden there's light. This is a little spark. And I'm like, well, I didn't expect that. <laughs> yeah. So, but that sets you off the trajectory of, of moving towards the the bigger light the the one that you are more happy with more content with and you you ended up getting roles in the sopranos and and all these big shows what was the the first big break that you got the, the first big break was let me just get my dog hey summit you gotta get out of here buddy more than welcome gotta get out bud come on hey go go hey go he's drooling all over Oh, I got a German Shepherd. Oh, nice! I got a Golden Retriever, and we also oh. got a little a little puppy now as well. I, I approve. <laughs> so we so we the, the first break really was the first what I consider to be a a big break was this um, this movie called The North End. Uh, it took place in the North End of Boston, and I was really the lead. Um, and and it was through backstage. So when I went in for it, you know, I submitted myself, it was non-union, non-paying. 
and I went in and as it started to get, I got cast as it started to go closer to, to shooting, the director had worked as like a PA on Casino and he had gotten a script to Frank Vincent, who was eventually on The Sopranos again. He's passed away since, rest in peace. And he's got, and he, he was uh, Billy Bats in, in uh, Goodfellas. You know, he was, uh, now get your fucking shine box. That's him. So he, he signed on to do it. And then he got his friend, Tony Darrow, who was also in Goodfellas to, to, to sign on. And then it became a union movie we went and shot it. We shot a piece of it in Boston. We came back. Then we shot the rest of it, raised the money for it. Uh, it got, um, it went to uh, Montreal Film Festival. It went, it opened Boston Film Festival. It played in theaters. It was like a, it, it didn't really, in the grand scheme of things, it didn't really make waves in the world. Mm-hmm. But in my little world, it was like, it, it was like, we got to act like we were celebrities for a couple of nights, you know, like go to like when it was in the theaters and we were signing autographs. And it was like, I ended up getting, my friend was, was up for something and I kind of pushed to get him a role. And so it was fun. It was a great experience. And it was this, it was this thing where it was like, Oh, okay. I actually shot a movie that people are seeing, uh, you know, reviewed in variety, all that. But that I called that, one of them because it kind of gave me confidence. And then Sopranos was definitely just a a huge break. Um, You know, at the time I got it, it was the fourth season and the show was just huge. And uh, I knew that the role was going to stick around for that season. So I knew it wasn't just like a one-off. And um, that was the first time that I went from, you know, you tell people you're an actor, you know, people say, what do you do? And you go, well, I'm, you know, I'm trying to act or you, you always had a story. It was like a five minute monologue to tell them you were trying to act, but you really bartended over here. That was the first time that I was, people would say, oh, like they knew me from something. Mm-hmm. It was like the first time. And that was, that came out in 2002. I moved to the city in 95. So that's seven years after being there, you know? took a while to, for that to happen. So in those seven years, there are times when you're like, you know, getting, you're doing plays, you're doing things, but you're, you know, you, you can feel like you can have doubts. Mm-hmm. So that was, that was really helpful. And yet after that, I thought I was going to come out to LA and, you know, sign up for my next thing. And I got a goose egg. Like I was out here for a few months got nothing for pilot season, went back, ended up having to bartend for another like year or two after Sopranos. Wow. And then West Wing came and then that moved me out to LA. Wow. And then after that, I I didn't have, I never had another like sideline gig aside from like, you know, coaching some people and doing some scene study classes with beginner actors and stuff like that. But um, yeah. So it's a long, it's a long haul. Seven years to become an overnight success, eh? <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. That, and then right. go back to bartending. <laughs> yeah, going back to what you were initially doing before. Like, do you think in that moment, oh, I've got Sopranos, but now I've got to go back to bartending. So that means I, I kind of made it, but then I didn't make it. Like, I've. No, I mean, at that point, I was like, 
I was in, I was just kind of like, crap, I need to, you know, pay for my life. And, and, you know, the thing is Sopranos, it, it was great, but it didn't really pay me that well. When I look back at it, it's not like it was paying me that well, but it really did lead, you know, you wouldn't know it, but then you'd be on another set and they would ask you about Sopranos and you realize, you realize that they saw you doing, you know, I, I did this, um, a pilot with, um, Ivan Reitman, who's, you know, had a huge career as a director, as a producer. And it was like the fourth day on set and something, I don't know what was happening. He goes, Hey, Mr. Bada Bing, get over here. And I was like, Holy shit. Ivan Reitman knows me. Now, meanwhile, I've been working with him. He had cast me, but I didn't know he, you know, I, I was like, Oh, people watch Sopranos. So -hmm. they've seen it. So that's when I realized that that job has paid dividends ever since because it was such a same with West Wing really, because they were such special shows in, in the history of television that people uh, were, people saw them, you know, people watched them. So they they were helpful. How many episodes were you in on Sopranos and the West Wing? Sopranos was like nine and West Wing was like, I don't know, 16 ish, something like that. So you were in a good chunk of both of these like iconic shows. Yeah, the fourth season of Sopranos and then the end of the second to last season and most of the last season of West Wing. Wow. So had that show gone on, we thought we were going to kind of like, they were going to replace us and put us in because we were with the new administration coming in and the show was taken off the air. So that was unfortunate. That that sort of stuff happens, but you've also been in recently uh, Wind River with Jeremy Renner and Elizabeth Olsen as well. You play, I believe it was a cop or? um, I was like an ex-special ops guy who was kind of one of the not so nice guys on the um, reservation. We're working on like a power plant that's near a reservation and some stuff goes down and not not good, not good stuff. That's where I saw you. That's where I recognize your face. And I didn't know it at the time that you were actually in there until I went back and looked and it like it clicked. It was like, oh, that's where I know him from, yeah. <laughs> Wind River. So I haven't seen, I'll be honest with you, I haven't seen Sopranos. I haven't seen The West Wing. I need to. It's on my list. It's ever growing. That's um, all right. But also... I'm curious to know as well, as someone that is a creator as well, what does creativity mean to you? Um, I think it's uh, finding, it's really just following your, following like a string of inspiration that you have and taking it from an idea to a reality that you can actually live and breathe and touch. And, um, you know, it's, it depends on what the, the, the form is as an actor, it's, um, you're interpreting, you know, so you're taking someone else's words and someone else's this character that they've presented to you and you're kind of just, really interpreting it through your own self out for others to see and hopefully be affected by. Um, With 
something like a podcast, it's like, you know, as you're doing right here and as what I did, it's like, it's something that's, it didn't exist before you had this idea, you know, it's just an idea in your head. And then you get a microphone and you get a computer and you get people together and you talk and you put it together and you edit and now it's something and now it's a show and then it gets more and more sophisticated as it goes, uh, you know, but with anything, um, you know, right now I've been doing some like DIY kind of projects around the house. And even that I feel this sense of creativity. I, I just, I like to solve a problem somehow, you know, um, I guess it's just like taking something that's a, a, a passing idea and turning it into something real would be uh, creativity. That's, that's literally part of my definition of creativity as well. It's solving problems with nothing and you just forming something from nothing and turning it into something pretty much. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you think about anything, any, any, like I've interviewed a bunch of entrepreneurs and that's what they do. It's like, you're, you're, that's what you're doing. You're kind of like, you're trying to serve people in some way that you, you come across something that feels like, Oh, what if we could do this? It's just, it's asking, you know, what if I did this and, and what would I do? And then following that and then, you know, solving that problem, which leads to the next problem when you solve that and you solve that. And then you look back and you see this trail of things that you, you know, all of a sudden now it looks, you know, whether it's putting two, two by fours together and then all of a sudden looking back and realizing you made a cabinet or you've made a deck or something like that. Or if it's putting, you know, getting a couple of acting gigs and now we're talking and you're asking me like, Oh, what about this, this, and this? And I'm going, Oh, do I have a career? Like I actually have a career. Cause it didn't, it didn't feel like there was a, you know, it always felt like I'm just, Oh, I got this. I got this. I got this. And then it's only in retrospect, you look back and realize, Oh, that amounted to something. Yeah. You know? mm -hmm. and, and, and hopefully it was something close, but probably different to what you envisioned before you started the endeavor. Mm. And speaking you know? about podcasts, you've got your own podcast called 10,000 Nose. Yeah. Um, and you sit down with some pretty high profile people and basically talk about all the rejections they've had in their life and how they've overcome that on their journey. I want to ask you, why did you want to start a podcast? What has been the biggest challenge with your podcast? And why do you do it? Um, I started it because... I was working on Scandal and was told when actually when I was doing Wind River, I got a call that they were, I wasn't contracted to it. So I was recurring on it for at that point, maybe a couple of seasons. I'm not sure. And they were like the next season, they're going to use you a lot. Um, that ended up not being the case. I don't know if it was because of the election that year in 2016 and it's a DC show, but somehow my storyline changed and I went from thinking I was going to do a bunch to all of a sudden doing only like three um, episodes that season. And it was the year 2017 was the year of like the, the Oscars. It was the hashtag Oscars. So white. Yeah. So it was not, it was, it was great for humanity because minorities were getting more roles. Personally, I was like, I could not book a job. 
and I felt good in the rooms, but I just couldn't, you know, so I was kind of like really out of work and getting bitter and cynical about my career. And I had had this thought, I had started listening to some podcasts and, um, and I thought, you know, I know a lot of people, I like to have conversations that are deep. And I, I, I just thought I would really do something that was just my own, that I was creating, even if it was tiny, I was in the center of it. Nobody could tell me I could do it or not do it. I didn't have to wait for someone to hire me. And I just, I started and I had like zero strategy. I mean, I didn't do like a launch, a proper launch, nothing like that. I, um, I just started asking people and I started recording them and I put them out like before I had a bunch, I didn't think it out with seasons. I just, it, I did it for me mm. and for the listeners. I basically thought if I feel like shit right now, how many other people are out there that feel like shit and feel like they're alone and maybe they're 20 years younger than me. And it would have been cool to have someone like when I was your age, I would have loved to have someone like me saying, Hey, it's okay. Yeah. You got knocked down. It's going to be fine. Mm -hmm. And so I made a decision early on. I was going to talk to all different walks of life and careers People told me that was not smart because I should stick yep. to my niche. Yep. And I, I said, yeah, I love actors and I will talk to actors and writers, producers, directors, but I also want to talk to other people. Yep. And, and that has proven to be a really good thing is now it's the, what I originally envisioned for it has happened, which is the, the, it's not like people show up for the guest, even though, Sometimes you get a big guest that people want to hear, but people show up for the concept of, you know, it's really a study in what, how people have kind of chased after success and, and fulfillment, not just success, fulfillment, like, you know, enjoying their life, not just, not just like some accolades, but because a lot of the stories are people that you go, wow, they've done so much. And then you, you know, you talk to them and you realize they've got problems just like you and me. And, you know, it doesn't matter who you are. You can't escape it. That's the human experience. Mm. And so it's been really, really helpful. I mean, I would say, as you've probably experienced with this, it, it really changes the way you see things. Oh, yeah. When you sit down with someone, I read a lot of books before that. Um, sitting down across from someone and shaking their hand and like, they're telling you their story and you're looking at them going like, Oh, they did this and they're fine. They're like, they went through that and they're sitting here talking to me. Not only did they survive it, but they're thriving now. Hmm. That has a huge effect. I mean, I've, I've changed the way I've operated because of it. Yeah. Honestly, like I couldn't, cause I'm still quite young and I started this, the story box last year in around November and to see the progression. And back then it was just, okay, I'm going to reach out to some of my acting friends, my director friends and, and just really hear their story and the things that they go through. And, and then I just started reaching out to people in the hospitality industry, people that were in business, all the things that I absolutely love and wanted to know their story with. I just started to reach out to them and, and, like slowly but surely build 
a small audience, build a, a network of people that I never would have actually asked them beforehand if yeah. for the podcast. Right. So, it's a, it, as I say, it's like, it's like an excuse for a deep conversation. Exactly. It's, it's kind of like a great reason. Like, you, you know, people would like say, oh, you want to have coffee? You're like, eh, I, you know, I don't know if I need to have coffee. But if you do an interview, you, you get to have a real conversation mm. and people learn from it. Not only the two of you, but then other people get to hear it. Yeah, yeah. it's great. It's like my, my mission is to change the world through stories, to change as many people's lives as I possibly can through stories. And, you know, like I've had people ask me, what's your demographic? Who are you trying to target? I'm like, well, I don't have a demographic. The demographic is pretty much everyone that wants to hear. Like, that's broad, but that's still okay as well. Because, yeah. And it, yeah. As you go, you might start to hone in and realize, oh, there's a specific, you know, it, it, you, you can narrow the focus as it goes. I think we've seen that. We've still stuck to the original, but like, I, I do think even that evolves. All of it evolves. Yeah. You, know? you evolve um, as a human being, your thoughts, the way you conduct interviews as well. I, I like to go deep. I like to ask people, get to the heart of, of who they are. And the questions that I do ask people, usually not many other podcast hosts ask. And that's what I like about it is the fact that it's different and people have stories. I know people like trying to get to the stories, but there's, I can be vulnerable as well because I'm only 23. Great. I've been through living hell and I can relate to a lot of people's whys and hows and all their failures as well because I've been through it even at such a young age, almost died three times. Uh, I've had failure after failure. It's, I struggle with different health issues. And it's just looking back at my life at the moment and being able to have these amazing conversations with people like yourself, like I'm humbled every single day. I'm not proud. I'm not thinking to myself, oh, I get to, do, I get to speak to this person and you don't, ha, ha, ha. It's not like that. It's like I am blessed. I am humbled at the fact that people actually want to take the time to speak to me. I get to ask you questions. I get to be curious, which I've always been. I get to learn and I get to help. So yeah. those are all the things that are part of me. And I didn't realize that until later on last year. And all the things that I'm doing this year are setting myself up for my future endeavors of literally trying to change the world through, through it's stories. It's great. Well, I, I appreciate you having me on and, um, and it was fun to talk. You ask great questions and a lot of fun. I got two more questions for you. Oh yeah. Mind, man. Yeah. Yeah. So I have a legacy question that I love asking people at the end. You've reached the age of 100 and your friends have put together a film of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Don't ask me how they got it. They just did. And they've shown it to you on your 100th birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life? Um, I'd wanted to say that... Um I was kind to people, encouraged them, and um, and just kept kept on coming. 
kept on taking steps. Even when I got knocked down, kept get, getting back up mm. and uh, never lost the innocence and idealism. Keep the drive going, keeping it alive no matter what. You've also got a book coming out as well, 10,000 No's. Um, and when when is that coming out? Just so people know. I believe the date is October 27th. We've had to delay it because of COVID. And um, I'm now seeing what's happening with the the show, um, what's happening with our premiere date. is trying to line it up with that. But that is the date as of now, October 27th, 2020. Fantastic. Well, I look forward to actually reading that. My last question for you is a fun one. It might be a bit hard, but you never know. What's your favorite film, your favorite actor, and the last movie that you watched? Okay. Um, I can't say favorite film because it kind of like depends on what what's what, but a film that I reference all the time, and I actually haven't seen it in a while, but I, ref- I feel like I reference Shawshank Redemption so much. You know, it's one of those ones that just has so many lessons in it and so many um, great performances and just great themes running through it. Uh, Don't know if I just say all out favorite. That's too subjective for me. But um, that's one of them that just popped into my head. Um, Favorite actors. um, I love Look, I think in in our day and age, I look at someone like Christian Bale and I think he's like, you know, kind of like a Michael Jordan of acting. Um, But I love I love actors like like Gene Hackman and Robert Duvall, guys that are very. Like they're not they're 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 not really acting, you know, it's hard to catch them acting. Ed Harris kind of um, very, you know. Subtle, real, um, dropped in. Um, they're just, uh, you know, I, Paul Newman, mm. you know, I'm just thinking it's, it's funny. It's another prison film, but cool hand Luke. I was just talking about that over the weekend. Paul Newman uh, is, is he's tremendous. Um, yeah. You know, there, there are many more, there are, uh, but that, that's what I'll go with for now. Um, most recent film I watched, last night I actually watched a documentary on, uh, it was called uh, Momentum Generation. It was about these surfers uh, from like the, like Kelly Slater and his whole crew of surfers. And it was just, just really interesting. It's a documentary on, on HBO. Um, and the, the last, uh, you know, narrative film that I watched was actually with our family we watched, uh, this is not going to make me feel, sound like a deep actor, but it was hysterical. Daddy's home too. Uh, <laughs> I, I was, I was laughing. I mean, I, I was, I, it, it, I was laughing. Wahlberg and, and Will Ferrell and, and, uh, John Lithgow and Mel Gibson, man. It was, I was hysterical. Hilarious. Yeah. Uh, I think Will Ferrell, his, his latest film Eurovision was. Have you seen it? I've seen it. I love I it. I haven't seen it. We were just talking about it because we saw it on, I think, like Netflix or Prime or something. It was it was being advertised and we were saying we got to see that. But we, we that was last week and then we went away for the weekend. So I've, that's I've, on the I've list. I've had the songs on repeat the last couple of days ever since I watched it because uh, they're just so 
So good. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's sometimes yeah. you just, you know, you need to laugh. And and this is definitely one of those times where, you, you know, the comedy is very, very much appreciated right now. And, and yeah, Will Ferrell pretty much, he's, he's, he usually will give me some like, you know, laughs where I'm keeled over laughing. So. Same here. Like Blaze and Laurie. <laughs> yeah. One yeah. of them. So yeah. Matt, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. I really enjoyed speaking to you today. Have to do it again sometime in the future. Uh, really appreciate your work and everything that you're putting out there into the world as well. Uh, where can people find you? Um, well, first of all, thanks, Jared. It's great being on the show. And um, uh, Instagram is where I seem to be most active these days. Uh, that is at Matty Dell, M-A-T-T-Y-D-E-L. Um, also on Twitter at Matthew Del Negro, but I'd say Instagram. And uh, and the podcast, if you want to follow it on Instagram, is at 10,000 Nos. That's 10000NOS and um, 10,000Nos.com. Um, that's it. Yeah, oh, I mean, that's, you know. that's all in uh, the show notes when this episode does come out. Matt, thank you so much for coming on the Storybox. Yeah, brother. Thanks for having me. I really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you would like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on all podcast platforms. It is that easy. And if you did get something from today's guest, please do share it around with your friend or family member who you feel could benefit from hearing today's story. And before you go, I greatly appreciate it if you could spend 30 seconds leaving a rating review over on Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way to reaching more people and building this community of the Storybox. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one you heard today. Your support is always greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the story box, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.